Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. got a split show for you today, everybody. It's me for the first half, Roz for the second half. We had a little bit of a scheduling conflict, and Wits is uh, making my way down to Vegas this weekend with the family, so uh, I had to record a little early this week. So we'll let you know how the trip goes. If any of you guys want to place any futures wagers, uh, MLB, NFL, uh, March Madness, what have you, let me know. I'll be around. We'll be staying at the Orleans Hotel and Casino. It's off this trip. Uh, it's a nice little New Orleans-themed hotel. Uh, great time. I've had uh, quite a few trips there so far, so I'm looking forward to it. So I know you guys have heard us, me and Roz, kind of complaining about how there's no sports to talk about, and I know Roz is, is going to break down college basketball later in the segment. Um, but we've got some baseball to talk about. It's finally back. Spring training is here. Um, and one of the biggest dominoes of this offseason has finally fallen Manny Machado signs a 10-year, $300 million deal with a team that came out of nowhere, the San Diego Padres. Um, And all the talks looked like, for me, that Machado was going to go to the White Sox, which is going to be super interesting um, because I think you all know that I'm a Cubs fan, but I do like to see the Sox do well, and I think having Manny on the south side would have been awesome. you know, they signed a couple of Manny's very good friends. You know, his brother-in-law, Yonder Alonzo, his good childhood friend, John Jay, but it just wasn't enough. Um, a lot of funny stories coming out about how Kenny Williams uh, might have fallen asleep at the wheel thinking he had the biggest offer out there for Machado. But he ends up going to San Diego. Um, and I was talking about this with Roz a couple days ago. thought this was a very interesting move because San Diego, um, for me, is they're kind of like the Cleveland Browns of the MLB you know, they really have not been good since I've been watching. They made a big run a couple of years ago when they signed Craig Kimbrell, uh, trying to make a splash in the NL West. It didn't work out. Um, but they do have a couple pieces, though. I mean, they signed Hosmer last year. They've still got Will Myers. Um, Fernando Tatis, one of the best prospects in baseball. So they've got them some things working over there, but I do worry about, you know, the starting pitching is not great. They got a lot to work on. But Manny... Um, signs this 10-year deal, has an opt-out after five years. So Manny finally got his money. But I think it was 
I think it was a little less than people were originally thinking when, you know, last year when this offseason started. I mean, you heard the numbers more for Bryce Harper that a couple years ago that maybe he was going to be not only the first 400, but the first maybe $500 million player on the market. And as this offseason kept going by, it seemed like it seemed like teams were kind of, I don't want to say smartening up, but the market just isn't the same as what it used to be. Because you look at some of the best players in the game over the past 15 years, and, the, and a few of them that I'm thinking of signed these massive, massive contracts, um, and they really didn't end up working out. And I'm looking at two guys, and I hate to bash on these guys at all because they're, they're two of my favorite players of all time, but I think the first deal you look at, Miguel Cabrera signed that eight-year deal for $248 million, so that's an average of $31 million a year. Um, Miguel Cabrera was my favorite player growing up. Um, one of the best hitters, has one of the best swings of all time. But now as we sit here near the end of this deal, um, not only has Miguel Cabrera gotten a lot older over the past few years, but he's gotten a lot more hurt. The Tigers are a team that, for a little bit there, seemed like they could make a run and make you know a run for a few years of World Series. And now we sit here... The Tigers are, you know, they're the bottom of the AL Central. Um, they just don't look very good, and they don't have a lot of upside. And having that contract on your books, it's just not good for business. Nothing against Miguel Cabrera. Um, but you're seeing, you know, teams aren't willing to shell out big money for guys um, who are going to end up being like Miguel Cabrera when they're older. Or a guy like Albert Pujols, who signed an enormous deal coming out of St. Louis. And a lot of people thought that the Cardinals were crazy for not bringing him back. But you look at what he's done with the Angels, and he's still got a lot of power numbers, but he's not the guy hitting 320 with 40 bombs and 120 RBIs anymore. I mean, he might hit 35, 40 bombs, but now he's hitting about 240. Um, he's had a lot of problems with his foot, with his feet in his career, with plantar fasciitis. So, you know, deals like this, I, I feel like, you know, GMs, owners, they're kind of changing the landscape a little bit, and I think it's, you know, to their benefit, because I think baseball we've seen is a game that one player really can't make as big of an impact as I think if you look at other sports. I mean, the NBA is a completely different game. I mean, you've got five players on a team that are playing at one time, and a guy like LeBron can absolutely take hold of a team and bring them to the NBA Finals, as he's done, uh, was it the past like seven or eight years? Uh, but baseball is a different game. And even if you look at football, I would say there's one position that holds its head way above all the other positions, and that's quarterback. I think that's pretty obvious. But when you're, you're on the field with nine guys, um, only getting three at-bats a game, no matter how good of a player you are, I just don't know if it's worth that kind of money that we saw for Miggy, that kind of money that we saw for Albert Pujols, the kind of money that we saw for Robinson Cano. You know, I think those numbers could be better spent getting arms in the bullpen because I think, you know, we're seeing the MLB um, kind of move towards, you know, less starting pitching, more bullpen arms. Every guy's throwing in the upper 90s these days. And you know what? I, I think the best example, if you disagree with me, look at look at Mike Trout, the best player of this generation. You can make an argument that he might be the best player of all time. I'm not going to put my foot down on that, but I think you can make an argument, you know, just purely looking at his war numbers, through his first, I think, seven or eight years. Um, and how many times have the Los Angeles Angels even made the playoffs? I think that's a, that's a pretty telling statistic with the best player of a generation on a team um, who can, you can make a case should win the MVP every year. They haven't even made the playoffs with him on the roster. So I think, you know, those 
pool holes, those Cabrera deals, teams are just looking at it. They're, they're not worth it anymore, and I don't disagree. And even the Stanton deal, um, I think the Yankees can afford it, but is he worth, you know, $325 million, 25 a year? I don't know. Maybe he is. I don't, probably not, though. Um, but then I, I think the, the craziest stat, you want to talk about big deals. How about the deal that A Rod signed back in 2001 with the Texas Rangers? That was for 10 years, $252 million. The equivalent of today's dollars would be a shade under $600 million at $592 million. So you, want to, you want to talk about a contract um, comparing the, the time value of money? I mean, A Rod, that is an that's an unbelievable number. Um, and A Rod actually has the third and fourth biggest contracts of all time. The next one was the one he signed with the Yankees. And I think it was another thing that was funny for me, they're saying this Manny Machado deal was a record breaking deal. I guess if you want to look at the 10 year standpoint, I'll give you that. But in terms of absolute money and in terms of average dollars per year, it's not a record breaking deal. Um, you know, you look at Miguel Cabrera and David Price. Their deals were both worth $31 million a year. Machado's is worth 30 And then overall money, we're looking at Gene Carlos Stanton with $325 million. So record-breaking, I guess if we're going to just look at that, that 10-year deal, fine. But I feel like these deals are going to be they're going to be hard to come by unless you have a guy who might be a future Hall of Famer um, at third base or shortstop or wherever, hit 40 home runs, hit 300, and just be a, a key cog and hopefully what will be a championship team in the San Diego Padres. But we're going to break down more of that deal, more of the MLB, what we're seeing spring training-wise after the break. If you miss a show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm, amfm247.com. We're going to be back with more baseball. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Sporting Edge. This is Wits, and we are breaking down the Manny Machado deal. Ten years, three hundred million dollars, and you know, last segment kind of took you through some of the biggest contracts uh, in baseball history. Um, looked a little bit at the money values, and now I want to break down some of the winners and losers. Um, you know, what I thought from this trade. Um, you know, get getting a lot of great back and forth. Uh, CBS Sports, ESPN, a lot of opinions out there. But I think it's I think it's pretty clear cut. One of the major winners of this trade had you know had to be Manny Machado, um, securing a monster deal that just gives not only him but a family just generational wealth. I mean, you think about three hundred million dollars. It's it's pretty unfathomable for just just an average person. Um, so Manny Machado, Machado was a big winner. Um, it was looking like a pretty lame duck off season, uh, but he made a big splash to the end right before spring training here. Um, another winner from this contract, I think obviously it's the Padres, you know, the Eric Hosmer contract last year, eight years, 144 million. Um, never seemed like, I think a great idea in San Diego. Um, didn't go very well, but you know what? I think adding those two guys up and Hosmer, who's a part of a championship team in Kansas City, um, I think they're, you know, they're making some dangerous things over there in that lineup. And I, you know, I, I honestly really like it. Um, Bryce Harper, I think, was another winner in this trade. You know, Harper waiting until after Machado signed. I think it always seemed pretty likely. Um, you know, I think Scott Boris take a look at all his clients, uh, you know, in recent memory. They're kind of more ones to wait out the market. Um, so now that Machado's kind of set the market at that price of $30 million a year, um, there's really no other really elite free agents to compete with. And Harper is that last big name guy. 
Um, so I think he's a big winner here, and we'll see where he signs. I think it's going to be with Philadelphia, but that remains to be seen. Um, another winner, Nolan Arenado. I thought Tuesday was a great day for Arenado. Um, you know, Rocky star third baseman. He's scheduled to become a free agent next year, and I don't know if he'll get Machado money. You know, he's going to be two years older than Machado is now when he becomes a free agent. But, you know, Machado's deal definitely helps establish the market a little bit better. Um, and if you want to sign a star caliber infielder, and Nolan Arenado is absolutely that, you know, it's going to cost you about $30 million bucks a year. Um, so I think even if the Rockies pursue an extension with Arenado, um, you know, I think that's kind of where the negotiations are going to start. So I, I'm a big fan of Nolan Arenado. I think he's been doing it for a long time out there in Colorado. So I think this is a good deal for him. Um, Major League Baseball, you know, we talked about how spring training, you know, opening up and much of the talk is focused on people who weren't going to be playing baseball and Manny Machado and Bryce Harper um, than the players who were actually in camp. But, you know, you look at Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell still remain unsigned, um, Marwin Gonzalez. So, you know, I think, you know, the free agent market, kind of the whispers of, you know, the collusion between the owners, you know, getting a little louder as this as this offseason kind of dragged on. I think this kind of gave, you know, the MLB a little bit of a breather, um, you know, so I thought it was a good deal for them. And, you know, the Machado contract is not evidence that free agency is completely fine. He's a pretty big outlier. I mean, he's a generational talent, but I think we at least get some of a break here, um, you know, that this drama finally ended and now we can focus on some baseball. But one other guy to focus on, we've got Bryce Harper and one of the losers in this trade or in this signing as of now the Philadelphia Phillies. I thought Tuesday was a pretty tough day for them. Uh, I know the Sox were in on Machado. Obviously, the Padres were. The Phillies were another team that was you know talked about pretty heavily. Um, the Phillies have been planning this offseason for for a long time now, and they made some nice moves. You know, they signed Andrew McCutcheon. They signed a great reliever and David Robertson. They traded for Gene Segura and JT Real Muto. Um, but if they walk away from this offseason without Machado or Harper. I think it'll be considered a massive failure. And I think I kind of compare their situation to what the Lakers are going through in Los Angeles right now. Like, it's great that they got LeBron, but as we sit here, they're on the fringe of a playoff spot. And if they don't get a big-name guy to come to L.A. this summer, then it's essentially, I, I think it's a waste because there's no there, LeBron might have been able to win the East. Um, there's no way he's winning the West and an NBA title by just himself over there in L.A. So I feel the same way about the Phillies that – they might need another big guy like a Machado or a Harper. Now there's only one left. Um, so now Philadelphia is kind of at the mercy of Scott, Boris, and Bryce Harper. And I know we've seen in history that not a very good place to be um, for teams that are trying to to acquire guys and shell out some money. Um, another big loser, it's the White Sox. Man, it looked like the past couple of years kind of culminating. It seemed like they were going in the right direction. And I think they still are, but I thought this was a big missed opportunity by them if they could have landed Machado for that 10-year deal I mean there's no doubt in my mind that the Sox within the next five years are going to be competing for a playoff spot and possibly a World Series title title excuse me um and it seemed like they were pursuing Harper and Machado all winter they never seemed to be the front runner runner but I guess they just I guess they just refused to go to the $300 $300 million guaranteed because um, the White Sox offer came out that it was eight years, two hundred fifty million. Um, 
you know, a higher average salary than we'll see from the Padres. But and they kept saying that, you know, with the incentives and the vesting options, it could have been well north of three hundred million. Well, guess what? Um, all those options are great, but I think Manny wanted the guarantee, and that's why he ended up in San Diego. Um, not to say that going to a sixty-two win White Sox team is that attractive, but you know, kind of turning around a city. Chicago is a pretty cool place to play, but I don't think uh, I don't think Manny's going to lose any sleep over going to San Diego. Um, another loser from this deal, I think the rest of the NL West. I mean, what was already a I think a pretty crowded division with a lot of talent when you're looking at the Dodgers the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, the Padres just seem like they keep, they're trying to get it better and they're trying to get better fast. Manny Machado is joining a last place team. Um, but San Diego does have, according to scouts, the best farm system in the game. So they got a lot of talent and, you know, I think they're definitely going to start winning more games 2019 and 2020, and they could be fueling up to compete for a world series, maybe as early as 2021 or 2022. And if you've you've taken a look at the league over the past five years, you know what the Cubs did and what the Yankees did. They were both about two or three years ahead of schedule. Um, the Cubs actually won the World Series, and the Yankees went deep into the playoffs multiple times. So, you know, you look at the NL West. I think it could spell a little bit of trouble. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough division to compete in all year. Um, but it's it's kind of tough to say because you know where are the Dodgers going to go from here. I know they're getting Corey Seager back. Um, off injury, but you know, are they that's are they a team that's going to kind of recycle, reshuffle? Um, you know, with Clayton Kershaw getting old, I know they got Walker Bueller, who was unbelievable last postseason. But the Diamondbacks, to me, are another wild card team. You know, they were playing so great for a long time last year and folded down the stretch. Um, and I can't count out the Rockies because they, at points last year, I thought they were going to make it to the World Series. They were so hot. Um, so I think this definitely makes for a tough division um, and a little, little salt, a little more salt out of Chicago. Tim Anderson thinks Manny Machado might've missed the boat choosing the Padres over the White Sox. Um, just a couple quotes from his interview the other day. Um, you know, he was asked by Jeff Passan if he thought Machado missed the boat and he said he might've, but we're going to keep rolling. You know, <laughs> you ride with us or you don't, we couldn't care less who's on the boat with us. We know who is all in on the boat. He did say boat three times with us, and we know which way we're going to sail. Um, I think that would have been a pretty cool infield. Machado, Tim Anderson, who I think is one of the, I think a budding superstar in the game. I think he's taken a little bit longer to develop um, than some people would like, but I, I do see a lot of a lot of talent out of him, and I really like where this Sox team is going. Um, and a little bit more about that offer from the Sox. You know, they were saying that, you know, the value of that contract could have gone up to you know three hundred and forty million with all those incentives, um, but you know what? What are you going to do? It's Kenny Williams being Kenny Williams, he uh, was quoted saying, "I'm wearing my shade so you can't see the shock in my eyes." Uh, very surprised. There are a few other words you could put on that, but still a little bit of disbelief. I honestly believe we had the best offer on the table. Um, that kind of shows you how it's been going for the Sox the past decade and a half after that 05 World Series. Um, but Sox move on. The Padres move on. The rest of the league will move on. Whitson Rouse, we're going to be breaking down a lot more of the MLB action in the coming weeks. Um, MLB Network will not be leaving my TV for about the next eight months, so I'm really pumped about that. 
But that is all the time Wits has for the Sporting Edge. Great to be here, guys. Um, Roz is going to take the second half of the show, break down some college basketball, some NBA, probably gives his two cents on the Machado deal as well. But hope you all have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next week, everybody. Have a good one. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger, who writes the hot topics in the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to the thebubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubba at thebubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bubba at thebubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. Never sell stock again. Never lose money again. You know, we offer one of the greatest hedging programs. In fact, it's so good it is trademarked and copyrighted as one of the best methods around. Now, again, it won't prevent you from ever losing in the short run, but it will protect your portfolio to one and a half to two to three percent. And at the meantime, when it does go down, you will actually be buying and accumulating more stock giving you a better position. You can find that at BubbaTrading.com. Of course, this is Bubba, and I am I'm want to share with you secrets that I've developed over 37 years on the trading floor. I've built, built software for this, but in the meantime, it's very important that you come and learn how to do it yourself. It not only will make you a better trader on your everyday thing, but you will never have to sell stock ever again, and you will never have to be in a position of making that final decision. So go to BubbaTrading.com and check it out, the hedging program, BubbaTrading.com. What's up, what's up, everybody? We are back, and it is now Roz's time to take over the mic. There was some scheduling conflicts this week. er, Wits has to get in his Vegas trip every month, so he's on a plane. I'm doing the show actually here on a Friday morning. Pretty uh, pretty late for me to be doing the show. It means I got more sports information to get out to you folks and everything. Uh, We'll talk about college basketball mainly while I'm on the line. But we obviously have to start with the biggest news story of the week. And this isn't the Robert Kraft prostitution ring. 
This is the broken Nike shoe heard around the world. Zion Williamson going down in the first 36 minutes of the UNC Duke basketball game, which, by the way, tickets were being sold at a Super Bowl priced level. This kid is absolutely electrifying. I'm going to get into how them selling the tickets for that price is a problem in itself, especially with the injury that occurred during the game. Um, But yeah, a Nike shoe blew up. Zion slipped out, sprained his knee, only a grade one sprain. Um, He'll be fine. And now the big debate comes, should he play the rest of the way? Should he not play the rest of the way? We've got the DeMarcus Cousins and the Paul Georges of the world explaining how they feel about college basketball as a whole. The, The players earning pretty much for the universities all this money when you we're going to jump into the money issue first when you look at how much money was spent on that unc duke game and none of which is going to any of the players that is absolutely atrocious because once again if you don't have zion williamson which is now the perfect example in that game those tickets don't sell for that price you don't have the hoopla of that game and i understand the magnitude of the rivalry rivalry between unc and duke But Zion Williamson brought something completely different to it, and it just continues to explode with how explosive he is on the court. He's really prolific in terms of his marketability and branding. Um, And for him to have potentially torn a ligament in his knee, ruptured an Achilles, done anything to his lower body that would have hindered him for an entire year, which would have affected his draft stock, affected his beginning of his career in the NBA, I think it's absolutely a problem. And so what the NCAA needs to figure out is a way to either let him forego college, and which the NBA has proposed now this week that if you are 18, you should have the ability to choose whether or not you go to the pros. And I think it's funny it comes the week that Zion gets hurt. I mean, the NBA knows it. The NCAA knows it. His branding alone is going to make millions on millions of dollars for both organizations. And the NCAA is using it up as they can right now. And I think it would be awesome if we stuck it to him and sat out the rest of the year. I mean, the guy doesn't need to prove anything else. He's going to be the number one overall pick today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, seven years from now, two months from now. It doesn't matter. And they they know this, and the NBA needs to make this make this new jump into the future, allowing these kids who aren't getting paid at the college level to just jump into the NBA. And I understand the argument there that not all of them make it, but that's their choice. Unfortunately, some people are going to be guided the wrong way. Some people are going to be told, hey, I think you can jump into the NBA sooner rather than later, and they're not going to ever make it. But ultimately, that is their choice at the end of the day, and they need to have good guidance in their in their corner. And I think that's allowing agents to kind of step up a little bit earlier. I know some are tricky and sneaky, and some are kind of just bastards all around. But if you do get a good support system around you, it'll be able to like you'll be able to determine your worth. Are you ready to make money at 18 and play at the highest level, or do you need to go to college to hone your skills and be like a Jalen Brunson and make it to the league? Um, this Zion thing is absolutely crazy. Uh, I'm on the side that I love watching this Duke team. I think it's fun. They have the three best prospects in the country. Cam Reddish with 27 points against UNC. I know it wasn't enough. R.J. Barrett, 32 points. They're going to need a little help from around the rest of the team. The inside game was absolutely atrocious after Zion left, and I'm talking on the defensive side of the ball where Luke May really helped um, (laughs) extinguish any defensive prowess that Duke had. Um, But what I'm getting back to the the high school thing, you, you got to let them go. You cannot stand to see a kid who is making $0. I understand he gets a scholarship. The scholarship's only guaranteed one year at a time. He's making 
and he goes out in a game that absolutely means nothing to his grandstanding career. So I'm on the side. As much fun as it is to watch those kids play together at Duke, Zion should not play another game for the Duke Blue Devils. Unless he's getting paid, and there's no way they make a rule fast enough for him to get paid playing with this Duke team. Um, That's kind of my two cents on the whole Zion thing. I think it's absolutely atrocious that these players continue to be used, um, whether it's their likeness, whether it's the selling of tickets, whether it's making mega games out of nothing. Uh, It's brutal, but hopefully Zion gets better soon. Um, We'll see what shoe he decides to go with. I think... I read this funny article that this would probably help his Nike shoe deal. He was projected to make $5 million annually out of college, which would be the highest grossing shoe deal for any incoming NBA player. That might be going up a little bit after this whole dilemma. Puma with an insensitive tweet about this wouldn't have happened in Puma. They've retracted that. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes with his shoe deal. Adidas sitting back, waiting to see. Under Armour always sitting back waiting to see. But obviously, you know, my loyalties are with Nike. I'm repping all Nike all the time. Um, they just need to fix their shoe product a little bit. But let's talk about this game. Uh, it's an unimportant game. Roy Williams said it best. It was, a, it was a nice win for UNC, a team. They have not beaten any real relevant teams this season. Um, and some could say they still haven't. I mean, I understand that they have R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Trey Jones on the other side. But they lost Zion 30 seconds into the game, had no game plan for that. Roy Williams, I power to him. I really loved what he was saying after the game, how it's really disappointing when you lose a player of that magnitude and you were preparing all week to see how you would suit up against a team like the Zion-led Duke Blue Devils. Um, so he knows that that wasn't the – even though they won, it's not really telling. They do face each other again last game of the season for both of them before the conference tournament. So hopefully Zion, if he decides to continue to play for the Devils this year, will be in that matchup and hopefully his shoe won't blow up. Uh, But not very telling for UNC. A little bit nerve-wracking, though, for Duke. I think they really rely heavily on their players each game, and I know that that seemed very broad. But look at what the effect of Trey Jones going down was in that Syracuse game. They really didn't have a backcourt presence. They didn't have a true leader to kind of close it down the stretch and beat Syracuse, ultimately losing in overtime. And they lose Zion 30 seconds in this game, and they kind of were blown out. 2-0 lead after the Zion fall to turnover, which led to the basket. And UNC never relinquished that lead at any point in the game. So Duke has to mentally be stronger. I think that's where it is. Physically, they have all the talent in the world. Mentally, when they've lost two players, it's almost like they shut down a little bit. And I'm not even putting that on Coach K. That's really on the players. I think the players look to see what how we can fix this but don't have enough time to fix it. So not very telling for UNC. I, I'm not impressed. I'm not, not impressed. Uh, but Duke a little bit. I'm a little bit worried because uh, injuries happen. It's part of the game. And there's nothing you can really do about it. You just have to be able to adjust faster on the fly. You do have a spectacular coach in Coach K, and I'm sure he will get it figured out by tournament time. They're still my tournament favorite, obviously, barring that Zion continues to play. Um, So we'll see where it goes from there. But we've got other college teams. We have Gonzaga. If you bet them on Thursday night, you were a little upset. It was 28 and a half, and they won by 28 on a last-second shot by Pepperdine in the most garbage-time fashion. I only bring this up because I've been having a tough stretch of gambling. This game, I luckily did not touch. I did touch Michigan, minus four. 
yesterday on Friday or Thursday. Covered that one, so if anybody wants my picks, which I'll be giving at the end of the show, feel free to rip them. I am 3-0 in my last three picks. I uh, can't really explain how many losses I have before that. But Gonzaga with another win. Again, they're sitting at the number two spot in the country. You know how I feel about it. I know they have a very talented team, but who do they play? When does it really matter? They did beat Duke. I understand that part, but that was early season Duke on a neutral court in Hawaii. Um, I'm not putting too much stock into it. Really not. I, I just don't ever put too much stock in Gonzaga. They've made it to a championship, which was in spite of me picking against them. So they have proven themselves a little bit, not fully to me, but we'll see where they go from there. Gonzaga, kind of a flaky team for me. Virginia sitting at three. They beat Virginia Tech in a in a grueling defensive matchup, but that's what Virginia is going to bring to you. I like that they did it on the road. Again, they, they're very impressive, this Virginia team. They go out, they win their games. They have two losses to Duke, and that is it. Virginia, to me, I would love a Virginia-Duke national championship, and I think that's possible. I think you can get them to be one seeds on opposite sides of the bracket, and I think that's the best matchup in college basketball. I understand we'll have seen it probably four times by that time, but it is the best matchup right now in college basketball. So I'm all for it. Virginia is going to totally dominate this tournament. People need to get over the Golden Retrievers taking them out as the first 16 seed to do it. I'm over it. I'm loving it. I'm taking the Jared Rubin side approach. I like Virginia at three. Round five, we got Kentucky and Tennessee. Obviously, the flip-flop there, Kentucky losing to LSU, but then really putting the work on Tennessee, and then Tennessee making me look foolish. But we'll have to get into that the next segment. This is the Sporting Edge with Roz today. Wist started the, get, or the day off earlier, and I am ready to finish this off here. This is the Sporting Edge at AMFM 24-7, LibertyTalk.fm. I paid my dues. What's up? What's up, everybody? We're back for the final segment. I've been rattling, rambling. It's early in the morning here in California. It is sunny but cold. We've been going through a winter crisis in the United States, in my opinion. It's been cold in California. It's been below freezing in the Midwest. New York and the East Coast have been getting drilled as well. Uh, hey, Trump, I don't know if you, I know that you take things literally when they say global warming, but it's actually called climate change, and there's clearly a problem. So, Muppet, figure it out. Uh, back to college basketball, though. Let's, uh, let's talk about this Kentucky-Tennessee thing. Kentucky... Close game, losing to LSU late in the game. I do, I'm not going to trust Kentucky. I know people are really hopping on this bandwagon. Athletic as hell. They are putting up points. They can get to the rim. Got it. Blew out Tennessee by 20 points. Totally understand that as well, as I really wanted to rip Tennessee plus five. The SEC, I have not strayed from this. I think the SEC is, other than the Pac-12, which is the most abysmal conference in basketball right now, the SEC is not that strong of a basketball conference, and I've not shied away from that. I was very impressed with Tennessee. That's why I said I got to made made to look like a fool in terms of their last matchup. I said Tennessee would win this game, arguably in convincing fashion. It was completely the opposite. Um, but it's just not that strong of a conference. And I know Kentucky has now made the claim that they are the best, and they rightfully deserve that because they've beaten the teams they need to beat. Obviously, LSU making a little bit of a push to be, hey, we're an upper echelon team in the SEC. They do have that win over Kentucky. I'd really like to see how the rest of the season goes for LSU as well as if they are to face each other again down the line, dash in the SEC tournament. Tennessee, though, that is brutal. And I think that was a long time coming. From what I've read, 
the competition they face has not been all that great. And that was their first kind of test of an upper echelon team. We know that they've had some big wins early in the season. We know they were on that winning streak. But how do you deal with adversity? I think Tennessee will be very showing. They uh, they did beat Vanderbilt, but again, only 58 points, winning 58-46, 12-point win. They're on the road at LSU today, and I think that's going to be a huge game. One for Actually, it's a huge game for both of them because it will really stake the claim that LSU deserves to be at the top of the SEC discussions, whereas if Tennessee loses, I think we have a mayday-mayday approach, and we should get a little bit worried about the skill level there in Tennessee as well as the team as a whole while they're they're going to make it far in the tournament like they were hoping to. They're now totally off the one seed line. We'll see if they can fight their way back. It'll start on the road at LSU. You know me. You win road games against ranked opponents. You get a lot of love from me. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, Nevada at six, losing to San Diego State this week. Nevada, to me, is like Gonzaga, only a little bit. They're like a poor man's Gonzaga to me. And how you can say that they're the sixth ranked team in the country. Well, they are. You know what? They're a poor man's Gonzaga. They're playing in a really crappy conference. Worse than probably where Gonzaga's playing. And they, they lose. They've lost twice now. And not that I've bet those two games. I have a roommate who has bet the two losing games and the only games he's ever bet on Nevada. But if you can't win in that conference, you're not going to win down the stretch in the tournament. You can have any twins you want. You can have all these players. You claim to be great. You're not going to beat the top competition. I mean, if you put them in the same arena as Duke, I'm willing to put an 18-point spread on it and take Duke. Obviously, Zion having to be on the court. But Nevada at 6, not really my cup of tea. At 7, we've got Michigan, who beat Minnesota this week, has been up and down. They lost that game to Penn State that we talked about. They've got a big game tomorrow on Sunday against Michigan State, who's 10th in the country. Very telling game. Michigan State might is without Romeo Langford, which is very harm, or, which is harmful to their team moving forward. I've already said that. I don't think Michigan State is in the best shape moving into the tournament time. Nick Ward also out indefinitely, so that is another big piece down low. But it is a rivalry game. Anything can happen. Me, I'm kind of leaning towards the Michigan side. They need to pick it up. They didn't have a great second half against Minnesota uh, on Thursday. They did cover the spread for me. But uh, Michigan, a team that looked really sharp, kind of slowing down a little bit here towards the end of the season. I'd really like to see them pick it up. I do love the Big Ten come tournament time. You know me. I'm really feeling this Wisconsin team for some reason. Purdue, tough win over Indiana the other day. Barely, neither team scoring over 50 points. We got a true defensive blood burner or barn burner. Um but finishing off the top 10, we've got Houston at 9, UNC at 8, who will most likely move up after this win. Again, I hope the committee really looks into it. Don't think it was that impressive of a win. Houston, 25-1. and one. Not much more you can say. 35-point win over Tulane. Your boy ripping that 18-point spread. They've got South Southern Florida uh, today at 3 p.m. Pacific time. This will be an interesting matchup. It's not... Uh, pushover team per se, but it's not obviously by any stretch of the imagination that good of a team. Houston, I think, is more in Gonzaga's playing field. I think they do play some good teams in the American Conference, and uh, I think they're going to make some noise in the tournament. I think they can be an Elite Eight team. Um, I don't really like going out of the major conference box. I do like kind of trying to find a sleeper here or there. I know they won't be a sleeper based on where they're ranked right now, but they're a team that I like to push a little bit further come March Madness time. Marquette at 11. They took down Butler by double digits this week. 
they've got a game on the road against Providence. I think Marquette has been a fun story. Again, I don't know who they've really played or who they really beat. In times of big games, they have not won, in my opinion, and uh, I don't peg them to be a team I have going very far. Kansas at 12, you know how I feel about that. Finally a big win, 25-point win over West Virginia on the road, which was very nice. They do have a telling game at Texas Tech, number 14 in the country this week. I think Kansas, if they can continue to put up numbers, figure out how to play with Azubuike, and learn what their backcourt issues are, I think they'll be better. But again, they're young. It's not really one of those traditional Bill Self teams, and uh, I'm not a big fan of the Big 12 as a whole either right now. Um, Clearly, if you're listening to this, the ACC Big Ten biases are pretty high when it comes to me talking about this show. Uh, but Kansas, big game this week. Purdue, 15, we said, just getting back past Indiana. They got a, kind of a cakewalk against Nebraska. I know Nebraska's been putting up some numbers this year, but Purdue's got to go on the road and win that game. Florida State, big win on the road at Clemson. Uh, they face UNC on today at 12.45 Pacific time. So by the time you're listening to this, the game's probably about to get started. Uh, Villanova 17, losing to Georgetown by 12. Villanova's rocky road season. They're 20 and 7. Don't tell them now, but I'm seeing an early exit come tournament time for Jay Wright and the Villanova Wildcats. Uh, behind them, we've got Louisville at 18, taking a 20 point defeat to Syracuse this week, right before Jim Beheim ran over somebody with his car. Um, very scary situation, very scary story, scary instances. I mean, to me, that's a big fear of mine. People running into the road, people being on the road after accidents. It's a, it's a scary thing. And my condolences are out to the family members, uh, who lost somebody that night, but yep, Syracuse taking a huge win again. I think they're going to be a tournament team and they're scary when they get in the tournament. They always have been, they're always sneaking and taking wins away. Um, closing it out. I still got Wisconsin at number 22. They're 18 and eight. They beat Illinois this week, a surging Illinois team that won four in a row, Maryland at 24, Taken down Iowa 66-65 last night. And Buffalo rounding it out. I like the Buffaloes hanging on. They're a scoring team, 114-67 to against Ohio the other night. They are looking to make a push come tournament time. I'm interested in who you guys like. I know none of you respond ever, but why not give it a shot? Search Ethan Rose Fourth. Shoot some DMs out there on the Instagram. Tell me who you've got, who you're picking for the tournament. I can tell you right now that it's Duke all the way for me. I don't even have to see a bracket to fill a bracket and know that I'm choosing Duke. It's going to be fun to ride with the Zion Williamson-led team. And then I like Virginia, Wisconsin, and maybe, just maybe, a little bit of Houston, like I was alluding to earlier. Kind of a sexy pick. I do obviously like Michigan as well if I don't go my Houston route. But that's all. pretty much all the time we have here. We're doing some closing notes. We've got some guests coming on the show finally. I'm hoping, and nobody listens as part of it, but I'm hoping to change networks, new title, new d- design. I do like uh, everything that Liberty Talk has done for us and AMFM has done for us, but I don't completely agree with all the same views they do. But uh, that would be where Xander would try to cut me off and not let me get my words in. This has been the Sporting Edge with Wits 1 through 2 and Roz 3 through 4. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy sports. Enjoy your outings. Enjoy your family. And we'll be back next week, everybody, here at the Sporting Edge. Have a good night. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.